Good morning, everyone. So it's a privilege to be able to share with you this morning, and my topic is love, the love of God, and I really trust that God would use me to impart to you some of this is his love, because it is the thing that is most important, and it's the thing that carries us, and I loved the worship and just the faith. The love of God calms us and stills us and is our anchor. So John 13, 34, um, it says, A new commandment I give to you, love one another. As I have loved you, so must you love one another. By this will all all men know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And this is at the Last Supper. So Judas has just left. Jesus has said, go away and do what you're going to do quickly. And now he's focusing on his other 11 disciples, and it's his last few hours with them. And this section is entitled, Jesus Predicts Peter's Denial. But just remember that those little um, titles in, in Scripture are not part of the canon of Scripture. They've been added, and they often can be unhelpful. So just read them circumspectly. Um, but he's trying to tell them that he's going to die. And he says, where I go, you cannot come. But they really haven't got it yet. I mean, he's been telling them and telling them and telling them, and they just seem to never get it. So, of course, Peter says, I will lay down my life for you. And then Jesus says, "Mm, yes, and predicts his denial. But position between Judas and Peter is this little pearl of the new covenant of Christ's blood and what it is to follow Christ. A new command I give to you, love one another. As I have loved you, so must you love one another. And by this will everyone know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And the other day, my kids were fighting in the car, and I was saying, hey, guys, we don't behave like this. We are God's children. We don't, we don't fight like this. Uh, we aren't selfish and rude and arrogant. And then I said to them, but how do people know that we're different? How do people know that we're God's children and that we're the disciples of Jesus? And they said, because we pray or because we read the Bible or we go to church. And I said, no, because we love one another. And we shouldn't need to tell people that we're Christians. We can tell them about Jesus and who we follow. If the circumstances permit, please tell them. Be very bold, as Corinthians says, um, in the hope that you have. But they should be able to see and feel God's love from us and through us. So what does the the world say about love? And I was a teenager in the 80s, so this is the 80s playlist. Um, But Tina Turner came up with what's love got to do with it, got to do with it, what's love but a second-hand emotion. The world is pretty useless at defining love. Um, And it brought to mind that um, that Hindu guru that goes around hugging people. Her name, they call her Amma, and she travels the world making lots of money with queues and queues of people that just come to get a hug from her. And I just thought, how desperate is this world for love? They are just looking in all the wrong places. Bev van der Velt, one of our beautiful friends and leaders in this church, many years ago, her husband left her, and I was in a ladies' group with her, and she just said, she said, Trevor fell out of love with God, and so he fell out of love with me. And it was so profound to me that 
We are actually bankrupt without the love of God. We can't, we can't love without God's love. But freely we have received, and so freely we can give. Love is central to the whole of Scripture. 1 John 4 is, is just so profound about God is love. In verse 7 it says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Verse 10, this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Verse 15 says, if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on this love that God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. And this is the love of God, this agape, self-sacrificing love of God. 1 Corinthians 13, 4, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always persevere, perseveres. And verse 13, now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Sometimes we sit with our children and we say, let's just be quiet for a minute or two and let's hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to us. And we go around after some silence and we say, what is God saying? And sometimes somebody says, no, God didn't say anything, and that's absolutely fine. But it's always so encouraging to hear God speaking through our family. And the one day I heard God say, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. And Michael goes, Mom, he always says that to you. And I said, well, because I need to hear it. Um, I obviously need to hear it more. It's the most comforting thing in the world to hear that God loves you. And it brings peace and comfort and confidence. So do we let God love us? Do we remember that his love for us has nothing to do with our performance or our holiness? I loved um, the word that came. Romans 5, 8 said, God demonstrated his love for us in this, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. It has nothing to do with how you're feeling or what you've done. It is a gift from God. And I love the Old Testament scriptures. There's this recurring beautiful phrase that's repeated over and over. It's in Chronicles, it's in Ezra, it's in Jeremiah. Psalm 136 was a prayer meeting and that's and then there's also Psalm 100, 106, 107, 118. It just is this recurring theme. And it says, 
Give thanks to the Lord, for he is God. His love endures forever. And it, it's, if you read different translations and they come out differently, it's because it's hard to get to the root of that Hebrew or the Greek. And so if we read the ESV, it says, His steadfast love endures forever. The New Living Translation says, His faithful love endures forever. The King James says, His mercy endures forever. New American Standard says, His loving kindness is everlasting. It is such a beautiful thing. And another favorite psalm of mine, and I'd love that song by third day, Psalm 36, um, verses 5 to 7. It says, Your love, O Lord, reaches to the heaven, your faithfulness to the skies, your righteousness is like the highest mountains. Your justice is like the deep. You, Lord, preserve both people and animals. How priceless is your unfailing love, O God. People take refuge in the shelter of your wings. Or the ESV says, How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shelter of your wings. And another beautiful way that God describes himself in Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7, Moses comes up the mountain to get the Ten Commandments again because he threw down the tablets because he was so frustrated leading God's people. And God then writes them for him. And he says, come up to the mountain. And then it says, he passed in front of Moses proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. And how much our humanitarian world would like to live, leave out the punishment side of that. But God's wrath and his punishment are not against his love. As a parent, you love your child and you remove things that are harmful to them and damaging to them. Sin cannot be in the presence of a holy God. God is holy. He hates wickedness, rebellion, and sin, but he forgives it. It is just the most mind-blowing. Only God could have, could have thought this up. It's so anti all our thought and our world. He removes our sin by atoning for it, paying the price for it by the blood of the pure, spotless lamb, Jesus. Hebrews 10.26 says, If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sin is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. And I have to say, sometimes I... I there is so much horrific sin on this earth. I, I long for God to just deal with it. It's just so terrible. And it just needs to stop. But 2 Peter 3 9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And 2 Corinthians 4 7 says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power is from God and not from us. So his love and his light inside us is the treasure. And sometimes, and we must just remember that we are a jar of clay. We're not supposed to be polished and smart and um, take any of the glory. 
uh, and sometimes we have cracks. But you know what, if you've got cracks, the, the light shines through even more. And I, I read a beautiful, some Christian author, I can't even remember, said, and her title was The Beauty of Broken. And I just thought of that scripture in Luke 7 when Jesus is anointed by a sinful woman. And it says, but she was forgiven much and therefore she loves much. And so don't, don't ever be disqualified in brokenness. He heals our brokenness, but he uses it to, to shine and to show others his, his ways and his, his light and his love. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23, I think many people have shared this in their devotions over the last time. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. See, and that's why I have to get up and spend time with Jesus, because I need his mercy new every morning. I cannot get through my day without the Lord. Great is your faithfulness. Romans 8, verse 35 and 39 says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. <clears throat> and John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. <clears throat> For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Matthew 22, verse 37, when it talks about summing up the law and the prophets, it says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And so as we feel God's love, our response is to love him, but our response is to love one another equally. It says the second is like it. The Pharisee want, or the Sadducee wanted one, and, and Jesus just calmly says it's to love the Lord your God, but you can't just do that because you've got to love your neighbor as yourself. Romans 13 verse 8 says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continual debt of love for one another. Whoever loves has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And whatever other command there may be are summed up in one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And I'm a doctor in public health, and so I live in this COVID space of variants and vaccines and what's next and what are we doing and what should we be doing and what's truth and what's exaggeration. And so why do we obey the COVID protocols? I mean, I'm a little bit exhausted by all these things, but we do it because we don't want to harm our neighbor. 
We might be carrying COVID and we do not want to spread it to another person. We don't want them to die without knowing the name of Jesus. And that is, why are we keeping people alive? Sometimes I'm exhausted. I'm just like, why are we trying to keep the world alive? The only reason we're trying to keep the world alive is to hear the gospel of Jesus. Life is worth nothing if it's just going to end in damnation. But Jesus is working. Jesus is using this to speak and to reach out to the world. Galatians 5 Verse 6 says, In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And I felt Jesus clearly say to me, For in Christ Jesus, neither vaccination or unvaccination is of any value. The only thing that matters is faith expressing itself through love. I believe in vaccines, but that is the truth, is Jesus. Use, use it for, for him. Galatians 5, verse 13 to 14 says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. There are so many opportunities to love people at this time. There are so many opportunities to pray. There are so many opportunities to tell people about Jesus in, in our last days. And Taryn just shared at the prayer meeting about Elijah that Stan spoke about. And it is so hard to understand how such a beautiful young life um, seems to have been taken from us. But I remembered when Paul and I were many years ago, um, we had a guy who we, who we were going to do his wedding, and he committed suicide in the church. And Jesus just took me to this Isaiah scripture. And, and I just, when, when there are things like this that I can't understand, I'm always comforted by this. Isaiah 57 verse 1 and 2 says, The righteous perish and no one takes to heart. The devout are taken away and no one understands that the righteous are taken away to be spared from evil. Those who walk uprightly enter into peace. They find rest as they live, as they lie in death. And so we can't understand these things. And, and it, it added to my playlist, <laughs> my 80s playlist, Only the Good Die Young, from old Bruce Springsteen. But we can't understand these things. But God's word is true, and God's word is, is um, powerful. And it says in Philippians 1.21, To live is Christ, to die is gain. We, we don't fear death. We shouldn't fear death. We are hungry for heaven. Our fight is not against flesh and blood. It's against the powers and principalities of this in the heavenly realms. Ephesians 6 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. And I checked with Sam, and he's happy for me to share, but our middle son, Sam, was in hospital last year. He had three operations for a, a burst appendix. It was the most trying time. It was in the um, tight lockdown of May last year. And we could just pray. It was, it was the hardest thing. Uh, we literally left him in the car park in the middle of the night and handed him over to strangers because... I knew that what was in his body needed, to, needed surgery. 
And it was just a fight. It must have gone on for, I don't know, six weeks. And he landed up having surgery after surgery after surgery, three surgeries. We could barely visit him. Every now and again, I'd sneak in and say, I'm a doctor. Then they'd push me out again and say, no visitors allowed. And after the third surgery, he was in ICU. And I, we were just praying and calling out to God. And I was sitting there next to his bed and I felt Jesus, because I kept saying, Lord, what is this? I mean, I know the physical. I know all the complications. I know the medical side of it. But I was like, Lord, what is the principality and power here? What are we dealing with? And I felt God say, count out a hundred demons. So I was like, okay, Lord, let's try this. So I literally started just one, two, and it was like flags joined together. And I kind of just one, two, three, and I just kept counting, and these colored flags just left his body and as it got to 91, 92 they started looking a bit gross and, and horrible and I got to 100 and I was like okay Lord that's, that's that and it was late 8 o'clock I said I'm going to go home now boy but I prayed and, and you're going to be fine and I went home and he started vomiting again and he phoned me he said mom I've started vomiting and I was just so indignant and I said to Paul, I'm going back to pray. I said, there's still something there. I feel there's still something there. And I got to the hospital. It was now late, half past eight, nine, and they wouldn't let me in. They said, the hospital's locked down. You're not allowed in. You shouldn't have been in anyway. And I had this talk to the matron in charge. So I phoned Sam. I said, boy, I'm going to come and park my car outside the ICU window, and I'm going to pray. And I was excited. It was so weird. I had this... this spiritual excitement in me and I just called out to God and I literally I could see the window where he, and I knew he was just there and I saw this revolting creature fall out the window run across the road and leave and it was just it was so powerful and it it was this I had drawn a picture as a child I copied a picture from a book and it just that's the only thing I could remember but this absolute deliverance and and I drove home, and I just had such a sense of victory. And the next day, I managed to book into the hospital and stay with him literally within two or three days. Two days, he, we, we were out. And he took quite a while to get better and put on weight. But there is spiritual behind the physical. And God will show it to you when you need to know. Then I went on a quest with God. Where did those demons come from? <laughs> and he's never told me, and I have to be completely comfortable with that. But there is spiritual behind the physical. And fight the spiritual battle, not the physical battle. Because that is, that is the real battle. And so I've got a couple more scriptures. Um, Romans. Romans 5. Therefore, since we have, ju we are, have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who he has given us. And I kept having this, 
this phrase, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. And that's from the King James. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. And Psalm 33 is just another um, beautiful scripture about waiting in hope. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love rest upon us, O Lord, even as we put our hope in you. And that is my prayer, that his love would rest upon us as we put our hope in you. And the final scripture, which is my prayer for us, it was Paul's prayer for the Ephesians. I know the Phipps had it at their wedding. We had it at our wedding. But it is just the most incredible prayer. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family and in, in earth and heaven derives its name. I'm going to kneel. Sorry. <clears throat> for this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom the whole family in earth and heaven derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power in his innermost being in your innermost being, through the Spirit, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the saints, to grasp how wide, how high, wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.